It's really, really, it's not a normal business, I can tell you. In the today's world, it's not a normal business. It's a very complex operation and it has to do a lot of with the geopolitics. People here in the Gulf Coast making deals with companies that maybe have Russian ties, doing business with Iranian ties. There is, there is a place in the, in the Middle East called the, the Ormuz Strait. Almost the 60% of the production of the oil that goes by water. That strait was closed. Prices of the oil skyrocket. When you are in the oil and gas, you have to be thinking in all this. This is something that is a daily analysis. What is going on? Jose Angel Piera is on a mission to educate you on the world of petroleum industry. With 35 year experience working as the CEO of Sicko Petroleum, he shares his challenges and power factors that affect the industry. A recent major life event has shaped him into an advocate for Americans unlawfully detained overseas. Jose, I remember working at my dad's restaurant. One of the things, one of the problems that I remember was the restaurant being understaffed. Some of the staff members, they give you a very short notice of absence and the service does not go well. Uh, but being the CEO of a multinational petroleum company, you manage a lot of people. You work in this really cool environment. How did you first start off in the petroleum industry? Thank you very much for having me first, okay? Um, you know, I did a long career in the oil and gas, as I was saying before we begin to record, because I come from an oil and gas family. We, we literally, were, we are like a kind of a dynasty because my grandfather, he began working in the oil and gas in 1920s. When in Venezuela, I'm Venezuelan born, Venezuela has more than 100 years of oil and gas tradition. Today, Venezuela is not not so good because there is a regime there that has destroyed the, the, the country. But, but if you go to the origins, 100 years ago, Venezuela was booming. By the way, at some point, Venezuela was the first oil producer of the world. And then it became like the second when when erupted Saudi Arabia. But Venezuela was still the, the second more uh, wealthy country of, in the oil production at some point. In the 60s and in the 70s and in the 80s, still Venezuela was in there. So my grandfather began uh, working there. My grandmother worked also in the oil and gas. My father and my mother also worked there, and, and I began my career in 1985. So really, uh, all my family always worked there, and I did a 35-year career in the oil and gas, and I became the CEO here in the U.S. of the, at the U.S. base of PDVSA. PDVSA is Petróleo de Venezuela, and Cirgo Petróleo is the U.S. based company that belongs to Petróleo de Venezuela. So that's how I did my career in the oil and gas. Oh, wow. That seems like your family tree is built on oil and gas. But if, uh, let's say, someone who didn't come from a family that knows a lot about oil and gas, 
how what are the requirements to be a CEO for them? It's super challenging, super challenging because uh, any any company in the oil and gas. By the way, can, Canada has big oil and gas company too, and and Canada is one of the big competitors of Venezuela because the type of crude oil that Venezuela has that extra heavy is exactly the same that Canada has. So so I know a lot of the Canadian crude oil. So it's really challenging. It's challenging because the, the oil and gas is one of the most challenging industries that, that exists because it's a very complex operation and it has to do a lot of with the geopolitics. And today, for example, the, the, all the situation that is going in the Middle East, the situation that is going in the Ukrainian war, and the situation in Venezuela has put the, the, the oil and gas are really, really challenging because it's all these areas are oil and gas uh, regions, you know? So it's really challenging to be there. Wow. So someone can, can can just start first working on the oil rig and then they work their way up to a CEO. Normally, when you do your career, it is like that. You, you begin from scratch. I have a, a finance background. I begin in the finance, but I did my career in all the, all, all, all the, all the way up. And normally that's the way you do your career. You begin, you know, with a with a pickup, going to the oil rig <laughs> or going to the refinery. So the career normally you begin is like that from scratch. Start from the scratch. Start yeah. with a bachelor's in finance, would you say? I I was I had a bachelor in finance and I did then my, my MBA. I I begin to uh work in the planning side. And, and when I begin to work in the planning side is where my career began to to grow. And and many people saw that I was an engineer, but my background is finance. But I, but of course, I know a lot of engineers because uh, I, I work in projects. I was assigned to a lot of projects. What would you say the biggest obstacle has been for you as a CEO of Sickle Petroleum? Well, when I was there, and when my situation, because I, as you know, I became a hostage, we were going a, a lot of uh, political things because, as I said, Silva belongs to PDVSA. And if you do memory, uh, when my situation happened was in 2017. That year, uh, here in the U.S., it was in office Donald Trump. And Donald Trump was having a lot of uh, dispute with the Venezuelan regime because he he considered that was I- I- illegitimate, and so he imposed sanctions. So I was the CEO about that moment. So it was really a nightmare navigating uh, how to do a business without n- not hitting any of the sanctions. It was really a challenge, a real challenge. Oh wow! So you have to manage the people in management and manage the. Political atmosphere. Definitely, definitely. I, I remember that I had to hire a a, a big uh, Washington lobbyist firm, and I have a, a firm that was specialized in OFAC. So a, any decision you were making, you had to be betting it uh, because you can inadvertently get in the middle of some bad situation. So it's really, really, it's not a normal business, I can tell you. In the today's world, it's not a normal business. And it's the same that today for the Ukrainian war. It, 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 people here in the Gulf Coast, 
making deals with companies that maybe have Russian uh, ties can, can get into in, into a problem because Russia now to have sanctions too or doing business that with Iranian ties. They, they can, so it's real, real a big deal work in the oil and gas. It, it sounds almost like a war zone. You have to ally yourself with the right person to navigate this uh, muddy waters of like uh, industry. Because, because unfortunately, the, the the oil is in all these countries. And, 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 and for example, somebody that doesn't know, today the war in the Middle East, there is there is a place in the in the Middle East called the the Ormus Strait. That is that that is in the if if you go to the to the map, the Ormus Strait is very it's very thin uh, strait, and but there, navigates almost the sixty percent of the production of the oil that goes by water. So in this war, if they close that strait. That would be a total nightmare for the West. That that happened if, if the people can recall in the sixties when there was the 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 Yom Kippur War or the War of the Six Days. That strait was closed, and that that made the, the prices of the oil skyrocket. So that 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 is a potential issue there. Where where, where is going? So when you are in the oil and gas, you have to be thinking in all this. This is something that that, that is a daily analysis. What is going on? Wow! So the Hormuz uh, Strait is almost like the life lifeline of democratic countries' uh, oil production. Yeah, because because the, all all the when you produce oil, you have to transport. But there are some super tankers that they call Aframax. Those super tankers. Typically, they, they, you can load two million barrels, so it's are very big, and they go through this strait. If they block it, all those tankers get blocked, so that the production we cannot go to 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 here to the to the U.S. to Canada to France to 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 the West countries. So that can be a potential big issue in the in the near future. In the near future, so so this is something that uh, when you are in 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 the oil and gas. You had to be doing all this analysis. For example, when I was in Silgo, uh, we, we had three refineries. There is a refinery, by the way, that is in Chicago. It's called Le Monde. It's very near to the Canadian border. We always had to be monitoring how was going the turnaround in the Canadian refineries to make our, our, our own turnaround. You can you cannot do it alone. You had to analyze all, all everything and, and to take decisions. So it's very competitive. Um, I remember reading that the most thought after petroleum uh, is light and sweet, and the lesser thought out is uh, heavy and sour. Does the quality of the crude petroleum also matter? Of course. Yeah, let me tell you. Depending on the type of the crude, is that the type of crude that you can put in the diet of the refineries. The refineries here in the U.S. that are located in the Gulf Coast, typically they have, they need a, a combination of light crude oil, medium crude oil, and extra heavy crude oil. And the perfect fit for those refineries is the Venezuelan crude oil. So that's why the Venezuelan crude oil is, it plays a key role, role 
in those refineries. And the other good fit for that refinery is the Russian crude oil. And today, those two countries are having problems. So I'm not today in the, in, in the refinery, but the guys that are in those refineries like Marathon, Tesoro, Valero, uh, all these companies, Citgo, oh, they have to be blowing their mind how they can find substitute for, for that. Okay. For example, there is a crude, uh, a he- extra heavy crude oil that is the, the Maya that, that is from Mexico or the Canadian that, that can substitute or there is some, someone also in the Colombia and in Brazil, but they are very complex. So the perfect fit for those refineries is the Venezuelan, Venezuelan crude oil that is three days of navigation. In three days, you have it there. So that's why the, the situation that today is happening in Venezuela is affecting, is affecting a lot. Oh, wow. So uh, with heavy crude oil, what would you use it for? You put in the refineries, the refinery, you have to do like a, it's like a blend. Can you imagine? The, I always put this uh, example. It's like you're preparing a smoothie. So you begin to put things and you blend it. Depending of the quality of that blend is going to be the quality of the product that you're going to refine. And it would depend of the, what the market is expecting there because this is a very complex operation because you have to understand your market. What what type of gas they're going to use? What type of diesel they're going to use? Because, again, also there are regulations. There are regulations of the quality of the gas and the quality of the diesel because, of, you know, the, the, the carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to make the economics of what type of crude you're going to use to prepare the mix to satisfy the market. And sometimes you need part of the extra extra heavy crude oil. The Venezuelan crude oil, very similar to the Canadian crude oil, has a lot of sulfur. So it's very acid. So not all the refineries can fit that crude oil. Not not of, all of them have the, the metallurgy to, to, to support that. So it's a really, really complex operation. So I don't know if the people can understand it, but it's really complex operation. Right now, there's all, always this sort of a climate warming sort of advocate on social media. They're saying all this stuff about the petroleum industry. But is it? Does the heavy crude oil pollute more than the cleaner ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, one of the issue of the, the extra heavy is that it, it pollutes much more. It's, it's, it's more uh, more messy because it's acid, so the emissions are higher. And, you know, today is a real challenge because with that, the war that's going today in the, in, you know, the Iranian, the, the Middle East, the, the, the turmoil in Venezuela, all these things that are happening. Are, are making it difficult to get to the 2030 carbon emission uh, di- di- diminution because the, the oil is there, you, you know. And, and when you see, for example, the, the eruption of the electrical cars, there's still room to improve there. The electrical cars are not ready to replace the oil. I believe the oil is going to stay a while. 
the oil is going to stay longer than the, the maybe this is something that the, the people that are in the environmental side will, will not like to hear. But is that true? Because of the situation that is happening today in the world, many people would like to that the oil be disappeared, diminished. But the problem is that with the situation going in the world, it's going to be very difficult. Wow. And could you use, like, for example, if you have one liter of heavy crude oil, could you use everything in that? Could you recycle that? Like, could you, for one part could be automotive gasoline, the other part could be maybe for the roads. Could you use everything in that liter of heavy crude? The heavy crude, yes. The heavy crude, you can use, uh, th there is a, a type, and again, talking about Venezuela, that's why Venezuela is a key player, because Venezuela has a, a very specific type of crude, that is the crude boscan. That crude is perfect fit to, to create the asphalt. Oh. The asphalt. It's, a, it's special for the asphalt. It, so that crude is needed to, to build up roads. And, and now, now the crude is not there because there is a petroleum ban. So, 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 uh, and they had to go think other crude to replace it. And maybe the, the crude that could replace it is in Africa, Nigeria. There, there's a crude, a Nigerian crude that could substitute slightly, but it is Venezuela is three days. Nigeria is, you had to travel a lot to, to bring it. So logistically, uh, and even for cost-wise, it's much more expensive. So that that that's when you're making those decisions, that's why this is changing the equation with all that geopolitical going in the world. As like someone, as a normal person, how can they stay on the news uh, about the current situation, about the current political atmosphere? Is by reading all these newspapers is that a yeah, good way? Yeah. No, normally normally the, the the oil and gas company they have departments they, 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 they do what they call uh market intelligence and it's basically that they're monitoring all what's going on so you have somebody that always is monitoring and you can do it of course you in top of the news you can have more or less the sense of what's going on typically the people don't do it because they, they believe that this is not going to affect them. Believe me, it's going to affect everybody. Anything that's going on today in, in the Middle East can affect all the West. Wow, interesting. And what is the mentality that you want to pass down to your listener to survive in this uh, economic, uh, political tension world and also as your experiences as a CEO? Well, uh, <laughs> People had to. Sometimes people got disconnected. That was going on in the in the world, and and unfortunately, anything that's going there is going to affect you. So so the people have to understand what's going there. Be monitoring. They cannot do nothing, of course, uh, but because you cannot influence that. But at least be prepared any situation that that is going there. So uh, normally the people tend not to understand the news of the world. Here in the U.S., this is a big issue. Here in the U.S., is a big issue because the typical the normal population are not 
familiar with what's going on in the world. Sometimes there is difficult that people understand this. I have had conversations that for me is difficult sometimes to explain it to the people. So the key takeaway is for people, for listeners to be more comprehensive about the news that they read and to understand the economic, political news that is happening around the world. Correct. Correct. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jose. It has been a wonderful time talking with you. You shared lots of experiences. Thank you so much. (laughs) No problem. Thank you. Thank you for having me.